Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 22nd of February, 2024. Happy Thursday to you. Don't forget about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Get the extra show, the week in effing review, and the contests. And man, I got uh, I just got one in the mail yesterday that's going to be good for the next contest. So even if you're not a fan of Dennis Miller, although a lot of people are, you'll like the next one. So sign up at those websites, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter.locals.com and check it out. Now let's get going. There's a lot going on as every single day there is. I'll give you an update though. First on the, uh, the kids. Thanks for the notes and everybody's got, uh, everybody's got ideas and old family tricks and fixes and everything for whatever is wrong. Whenever there's a kid wrong and never I mentioned there's something wrong with the kid. They go, well, I used to do this and try that. And I appreciate all of it. But uh, thankfully, thankfully, we had the appointment set up for Quinn. Bailey's uh, cough didn't hadn't gotten any better, so we uh, inc- we're able to. Thankfully, the doctor was like, "Bring them both in." We were both be able to be seen by the doctor. God, we went to that clinic, and I wanted an oral antibiotic for Bailey. Said she's got an ear infection. Said, no, we'll give you drops, antibiotic drops. And I said, "Well, you know, she's." Could have other things. You know, she's got some kind of nasty cough. How about you give us something that is like a general antibiotic that will get, like if she's got something in her lungs, if she doesn't at the time, but if she did, it would prevent that. It'd prevent, it would prevent, it would whap that too. No, 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 this is better. I can give you this or you don't have to take this. The doctor was a real jackass. No offense. Well, offense intended. So I got the stupid antibiotic drops. And then we go to the doctor yesterday, their their primary care physician. Now, thankfully. And uh, he said, now there's drops. I brought the drops with me. The drops aren't going to do anything. And Bailey had been to the doctor the week before, and they gave her a, an antihistamine to help with the snot. And it wasn't really helping with the snot. And I said, that's not really doing any good either. And they tested them for COVID and for flu and for RSV. And once you know it, RSV comes back. So they've got RSV. And Bailey's ear infection is a side effect of that. It's a viral infection that has, like, it it turns into a bacteria, well, makes you more susceptible to bacterial infections with all the fluid from your nose, and that manifests itself in, in, uh, in the ear infection. So she's got that, and she's getting antibiotics. Quinn, same thing. Quinn's cough was worse. She's, they both sounded horrible. They sounded like their lungs were full, but it's mostly in their throat. But Quinn does have some in her lungs. It's a little in her right lung. They said they don't need to take x-rays to diagnose a kid with pneumonia or bronchitis. It's one of the two. It's a little bit in there. And so they're both on antibiotics. And Quinn was running like 103.4 temperature yesterday. So it was a little bit of a paranoid night. She just woke up. I'm at home because I don't want to give anybody else RSV. If I'm carrying it, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I had bookers last week, so I don't know. But anyway, I uh, <clears throat> she woke up just about five minutes ago, and she doesn't look like she sweated all night long and felt miserable all night long. She's still got a cough. She's still not 100%. It's only one day of antibiotics. But 
She doesn't have a temperature, which was something I was very concerned about. So, so far, so good. Thanks for the notes and uh, all the medical advice out there. But yeah, they're on antibiotics right now for the next 10 days. And hopefully the doctor said we should see results in a day or two. And as long as the temperature stays down and the cough starts to abate, I'll be good. I used to get bronchitis a lot when I was younger. And my sister is prone to bronchitis and pneumonia. And my dad had pneumonia a few times. It's actually how they discovered he had lung cancer super duper early. And they were able to treat it with radiation fairly successfully. So just one of those things. I guess maybe it runs in the family. Who knows? But we're doing much better. They're doing much better. My wife and I are not sick. So knock on wood. Anyway, we like I say, we've got a lot to get to. And this today is going to be sort of an abject lesson in, in media bias. And it's one of my favorite topics. It's one of the most important topics because, well, so many people don't either don't know it exists or aren't aware that it exists or don't believe that it I don't know what the the deal really genuinely is. But it is very pernicious because most of it is done under the guise of truth-telling, under the guise of fact-checking, and, and, and some of the worst offenses truly are. And we've got prime examples of it in audio form, and then get ready for it for the election. Reuters is, uh, here's the headline, exclusive, Google to launch anti-misinformation campaign ahead of EU elections. Hmm? Now, this is the European Union. You may not care about the European Union elections, but it's not about the particulars. It's not about the circumstances. It's about what they're doing. If you don't think they're going to implement this here, well, I don't know what to tell you. The story, uh, Google is preparing to launch an anti-misinformation campaign across five countries in the European Union, the company told Reuters, ahead of the bloc's parliamentary elections and tougher new rules tackling online content. Now you sit there and you go, what? Misinformation. Now what is it that imbues Google with this magical power? What is it? Nothing. Nothing. They're they're all leftists. That's all they really care about is uh, progressives are progressives first. Anything else, a distant second. But that's it. There's nothing special about Google. They said, well, the truth tellers are at Google. No, these are people who remember famously after the 2016 election, after Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton, they had to have a staff day of like open therapy of crying. They brought in specialists and grief counselors to help these people deal. I mean, these are these are the definition of snowflakes. These are people who not only you have to walk around on eggshells around, they are eggshells. They are actually eggshells are a little bit tougher. You got to kind of try to crack on this is this is like that thin film of ice that shatters the second you touch it. And they're going to be the arbiters of what is and isn't true in these five countries in the European Union. This is a test run. I promise you, this is a test run. They may not announce it. And they don't really, I mean, they they probably won't announce it because they know what kind of hell they would catch in this country. Seeing 
In Europe, there aren't that many people, and certainly very few of them are in positions of authority, of power for it to matter. There aren't that many people who are absolutists on uh, the idea of free speech, the idea of free expression. You don't even have to be an absolutist. You can be a, a 95 percenter on the concept of free speech. You go, well, 5% of Nazis shouldn't, whatever. Even if you're that, you just just go, eh, there aren't that many of them. Look at, there aren't that many in this country, at least in positions of authority, in positions of power. Look at what the left has done and how the left has reacted to what Elon Musk did with Twitter. Uh, He's letting people speak. He's letting these monsters express opinions. There are hate crimes. There are people using improper pronouns. Yeah, there are some horrible things out there, but so what? So what? The easiest thing to do in the world is to ignore what some random anonymous jackass says on social media. You know why? The block button exists. The mute button exists. And the entire concept of checking what people are saying about you exists you don't have to do it i tell you my life got infinitely better when i stopped clicking on the uh the mentions tab right if you're just on if you're just on twitter maybe you don't know i wouldn't blame you and you're 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 good but there's there's home there's explore there's notification notification the notifications tab used to be mentions i think But notifications is what people are saying in response to what you've said. It is what people are saying where they just randomly mention you. They read your column. They don't don't like the cut of your jib. Whatever it is, they just go, this guy's a monster, blah, blah, blah. Now, I used to, when I was younger and dumber, about, I don't know, 15 years ago. I can't remember when I joined Twitter. But when I was younger, and I guess I joined in 2009, so that's almost 15 years ago, I'd go and live in my notifications. I'd live there. Man, it was awesome. How many liberals can I piss off today? Let's do this thing, all right? Can we do that? And I would find myself saying things, tweeting things, back when it was just 120 characters that you could tweet, in a way that was designed for the express purpose of upsetting people so that they would then say mean things to me and then I could get into an argument with them. I'm pretty good at those sorts of things. And so I was uh, enjoying myself. And then I just kind of got old. And I kind of thought, well, this is st- stupid. Fighting with, I mean, eggs, accounts with three followers. My favorite was when somebody goes, nobody cares what you think. And the person follows you. Like, well, then why do you follow me? Like, if you don't care what I think, this, this is designed for you, the user, to get what the thoughts are of people you choose to follow. If you don't care what I think, if nobody cares what I think, then why do you follow me? Like, that's a good question. They never had a satisfactory answer. But it was enjoyable, and then you grow up. Then you realize that it's just not, it's not worth, it's probably not healthy to sit there and just get into arguments with random trolls. It makes you feel good if you need to. I mean, I suppose if you wanted to, uh, if you need the, the satisfaction of beating somebody up, you can go to the old folks' home and pick fights. Yeah, I really, really beat the hell out of grandma over there. Well, congratulations. That's, that's not 
not an accomplishment to normal human beings, but if if that's what your self-esteem requires, there's something wrong with you and I don't want to associate with you. Now, it's sad because I see so many people who do live in there. And if you want to make money off of Twitter, that's the way to make money off Twitter. I, I suck from a making money off Twitter standpoint because not only am I still shadow banned on uh, my tweets going out, but there's also... If you, it's about engagements, and it doesn't matter how you get them, as long as you get them. So if you want to go out there and throw bombs, stink bombs, and deliberately do things to get a reaction from people, you will get a lot of engagements, and you'll probably make some money as a, a revenue share there on Twitter. And, and good on you. I prefer mental health over that. Although you know, if it were easier, I'd take the money. I'd hammer the check should it come, but I'm just not in that business. But then there are other people who just search their own names. They didn't even get tagged, and they're like, I'm ready to be offended. I'm ready to be outrageous their brand. It's pathetic. But Google is none of those things. Google wants to be the wall between you and the Internet. Whatever it is, whatever you want, it doesn't matter. Google doesn't have, if they're going to do what they're going to do in the European Union, here, they're not going to announce it. You're not going to know it. And I know everybody's like, well, duck, duck, go. What about Bing? What about this? What about that? It's all a good idea. And when I'm cognizant of it, I will go to Bing or I'll go to uh, some other thing. Usually Bing is my default because Google is evil. I still use Gmail. But your default is Google. You just go, oh, I'll Google it. But the results are wildly different. When I'm looking for columns that I've written in the past, I can find them. They're the first results when I type in a thing, like the title, um, Our Idiot Vice President, which I wrote about Joe Biden when he was vice president. I type that in, and it's like the first or second result on Bing. You type that in on Google, and it's like five pages about Donald Trump. And then maybe you get to where my, my column is. And like, how does that work? How does that work? It's because they've decided without publicizing it that they know what's best. They, You could be looking up something about Joe Biden. But did you know this about Donald Trump? Did you know this about Republicans? You're looking up something about Democrats. Did you know this about Republicans? That's how they do it. It's just, well, this is just the randomness of the algorithm. They can change their algorithm. They change the algorithm regularly. They tweak it constantly. And they don't announce it publicly because they don't have to. Why would they? It's boring. And just, we changed their algorithm. doesn't mean anything to you. Facebook, same thing, changes its algorithm. If you remember back in uh, 2016 again, there was a site called the Independent Journal Review, IJ Review. It was on Facebook, I think, the most popular page on Facebook. Like the group, the news was like, oh, they sponsored one of the Republican primary debates. They were with ABC News. They were that big of an organization. 150 million followers. It was wild. If you got your story or your column or your whatever linked on IJ Review, especially on their Facebook page, boom, the engagements were through the roof. Then Facebook changed their algorithm, their news feed for you as a customer. And they lost something like 98% of their traffic. The company went from one of the most influential 
news hubs on the internet to, I just had to remind you that they existed. And it happened overnight, just boom, and they were gone. Because Facebook changed their algorithm. And they said, well, we did it to uh, enhance the user experience. Well, the, the thing about the way these websites at least were set up is the user experience is what the user sets up. You follow, you friend, you like certain things because you want that information to come into your news feed. And Facebook stepped in and said, yeah. You don't really need this. You don't need you need less news and more advertisements, more random groups, other groups that you might want to join. No, I I curated this to be this certain thing. And they superseded it. Twitter, the same thing. You follow these people, but they'll say, hey, what about uh, what about these ones? What about these ones? I don't I don't want those ones. I want the ones I follow. Well, okay, but some of the ones you follow aren't super good, so we're going to filter them out. We don't like them all that much. We're going to filter them out. You go, what? That's not what I signed up for. doesn't matter what you signed up for. Nobody reads the user agreement anyway. You signed up for what they will let you do, what they will do, what they will give you. Musk is trying to change that on Twitter, but Google is the most popular website in the world by a lot. What you type into there matters. What people type in, well, what you get after you type into there matters. So them doing this in the European Union matters. Back to the Reuters story. France, Poland, and Germany accused Russia on Monday of putting together an elaborate network of websites to spread pro-Russian propaganda. Russia is the easy boogeyman. They do it. You see it in this country, too. We have audio of that in a second. Europe's Digital Services Act, which comes into force this week, will require very large online platforms and search engines to do more to tackle illegal content and risks to public security. Does that sound nebulous to you? Does that sound also like something you hear politicians in this country talk about Americans needing protection from? Yes, yes to both of them. From this spring, Google's internal jigsaw unit, which operates to tackle threats to societies. This is Google. They're a search engine. They run YouTube. They sell internet ads. And they have the jigsaw unit, which operates to tackle threats to societies. Based on what? Based on whatever it is the people running Google seem to think is a threat to society. You see it here, not on digital platforms. It will migrate there because they can hide it better there. But in, say, the FBI going, well, if you're a devout Catholic, you might be a, a terrorist threat. If you're a Christian, you might be a terrorist threat, especially if you're white. You're probably a white nationalist Christian, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, you've got ISIS pouring across the southern border. You've got Chinese communists pouring across the southern border. You've got... Guys essentially with I'm a gang member tattooed across their forehead, streaming across the southern border, fighting police officers and shelters in New York. And those very same people are going, I don't see what the problem is. At least they're not Republicans. Yeah, this is what we're up against. 
This is just the beginning, and this is just in Europe for right now. But if you don't think this is already being applied, or at least ready to be applied, and a little tweak to the algorithm without any fanfare, and you'll just notice that those search results, every once in a while a conservative news site will do the search results comparison things, and you'll see things slip down. Sometimes they Google just inserts notes, and uh, the search results saying this this is a whole bunch of really mean people who do bad stuff. And like, what are you talking about? It's the Washington Free Beacon. Oh, sorry, that was there by mistake. Sorry. They always admit them. They never catch the mistakes themselves, if you notice this. It's always when somebody else says, what the hell is this? They go, oh, sorry about that. They employ tens of thousands of people to make sure everything runs smoothly, but they never catch mistakes. But when mistakes are cut, well, sorry about oopsie-daisy, and they're all always in one direction. They're all always in one direction. Nobody ever points out, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find things like the Tiny Ice Age, the Medieval Warm Period, the history of the progressive movement and how it's very eugenics-based and wildly racist. Turn of the 20th. Now, Democrats just wrapped themselves. Well, I'm a proud progressive. Really? You can't really find the true history of that term, but if Republicans have a congressional retreat at a hotel somewhere and one of the rooms is named after somebody whose second cousin once owned slaves, that's a news story. How insensitive of them. The entirety of the Democratic Party has now surrendered to the progressive movement, which is based on horrible racism, extermination, genocide, and they all go, eh, Yawn. I'd say it's gross, but that's not a strong enough word. So while we've got Google being the thought police over in the EU as a test run for what's going on here, we have people who are essentially self-appointed thought police right here in the United States of America. And I want to give an example of how this works. I have a clip here of a Republican in Wisconsin. I think you pronounce his name Hoved, Hoved, H-O-V-D-E. I assume that's how you know. Eric Hoved. He's a very wealthy philanthropist, a crusader against child abuse and everything. He's, run, he's running as a, Repub, a Republican in Wisconsin. And there is a so-called new, for the Senate, against Tammy Baldwin up there. And he is, um, there's a news, I'm loath to call it a news website, but there is a news website up there in uh, the air, in the Midwest, they cover all of the Midwest, called Heartland Signal. So they, they say they are covering politics and policy from the Midwest, the newsroom at WCPT 820. What does that say? Oh, Chicago's progressive talk in the least shocking development of all. These are a progressive, progressive news site. Now, it's weird. Everything remotely conservative is right wing, is conservative, is blah, 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 MAGA, whatever you want to call it. Everything left-wing is like, well, they profess to be progressive. There was a story I read the other day, I think it was in the New York Times, where they're like, ah, oh, the Progressive Policy Institute, a left-leaning thing. Left-leaning? Left, it's right there in their damn name. They tell you what they are. Uh, why don't you believe them? 
I realize they lie a lot, but why would you not believe them when they put progressive in their name? So Hardline Single, they put out a, uh, what is it, a 44-second clip of Eric Hoved talking about the border situation during his announcement. Now, this is how they framed it. Announcing his bid for US, a U.S. Senate seat in Wisconsin, Republican Eric Hoved said he understands the tragedy of children being trafficked through Central America because he owns three homes there. Now, if you just read that, which most people will do, they won't even click on the video to enable the sound. They will just think this is some lunatic, out-of-touch moron who goes, yes, I know what it's like. I, I, I know what slavery is like. I have black friends. That's The left operates on that false premise all the time. They're the only ones who can ever understand anything, and anybody else is wildly out of touch. So if you just frame it that way, while what they said in this tweet is technically true, in the most technical of senses, it is a lie. Because what Eric Hoved is talking about uh, is the Hoved Foundation. These aren't vacation homes that he has. The Hoved Foundation. There are three Hoved homes in the area, and Hoved homes exist for the expressed purpose of helping children, particularly trafficked children, particularly children protecting children from the sex trafficking business. You know, Jeffrey Epstein's business, top Democrat donor. You click on the Hoved Home, says, we cultivate long-term relationships with the organizations we support, encouraging shared learning and both success and setbacks to promote lasting and sustainable change. The Hove Foundation envisions an optimal partnership marked by openness and transparency and collaborative en endeavors among equal parties. We actively review proposals from our partners, emphasizing blah, 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 we should we endorse what is the Hoved, found out it's the Hoved family. Their story, Eric and Steve are third generation of hoves who grew up in Madison. The brothers started doing business together after college and established the Family Foundation in 1998. They made a lot of money. Knowing that there were still limited resources available to help these children, talking about traffic children, Eric and Steve decided to do something about it themselves. As a result, the mission of the Hoved Foundation expanded to include improving the lives of children in crisis. Today, the Hope Foundation continues to support two central missions, ending and ending abuse and improving the wellness and life and opportunities of vulnerable children around the world. Seems pretty good, doesn't it? Yet, the liberal outlet Phrase the clip you're about to hear. They describe the clip you're about to hear as announcing his bid for U.S. Uh, U.S. Senate seat in Wisconsin. Republican Eric Hoved said he understands the tragedy of children being trafficked through Central America because he owns three homes there. Well, let's listen to that audio, that 44 seconds, and you'll see that He's talking in a large out of context, so it doesn't give the context of, of who Eric Hoved is. The people in Chicago aren't going to know what some Republican in Wisconsin is. 
some businessman in Wisconsin. They're just not going to know. They don't care. It doesn't matter. Liberals are not interested in the truth. They're interested in the end result. However they have to get there, they will get there. So listen to that. You'll hear he's talking about with his brother. And you, you could think if you were just, quote unquote, informed by the uh, progressive news site, you would think that this guy is talking about maybe vacation homes if you weren't paying attention and if you didn't know. And that's exactly what the left is counting on. And what's happening to those people on the journey? It's not just a humanitarian crisis for our country, but do you know how many lives are lost on that journey to get here? How many people's life savings have been wiped out by the human trafficking cartels? And they've lost 100,000 children that they can't account for. Let me assure you, more than a few of them have ended up being sexually trafficked. I know this all too well. I have homes, or my brother and I have homes all over the country or all over the world. And we have three in Central America that deal with issues like this. Yeah, the deal with issues like this at the end is a little bit curious if you're paying attention, but you're not. Because you have, if you were just on social media, you got your framing of that clip through the progressive voice of Chicago, Heartland Signal. Signal. And it's programmed you to think this guy's just talking about his houses. He's like a tourist. Look, I know what poverty is. I once vacation. I took my luxury yacht into Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and uh, through a, a series of really high-powered binoculars, I was able to see the devastating effects of poverty, and uh, it bothered me. I mean, I didn't go close enough to give anybody a sandwich because yuck, poor people, but so on and so forth. Like, no, no, no. That's how a lot of celebrities and a lot of very wealthy leftists vacation. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to get their servants' hands dirty. But it is not what is going on here. Now, that tweet got 1.3 million views. 1.3 million views as of now, the original. Oh, man, boy, howdy. Now... Let's see, that was 14 hours. The Heartland Signal Twitter account caught a lot of hell for that, as you might imagine. It was hit by community notes. So it was um, lambasted for being wildly misleading. So two hours later, two hours, the lie was allowed to stand for two hours. Two hours later, they tweet out, while not mentioned in his speech, Hoved appears to be referring to his charitable foundation, Hoved Homes. And then there's a link. To, it appears. It appears to be. What else could it appear to be? He's, he's also. It could be that he's talking about how he spent his spring break. Sitting in one of his gated mansions around the world. Snipers at the ready should any of the great unwashed decide to try to enter his property. And watching whilst laughing and lighting cigars with $100 bills as the neighborhood children were taken off to the sex traffic trade against their will. That's what they'd love you to think. But again, it took two hours. That tweet clarifying 
has 51,000 views. 51,000 views compared to 1.3 million views. The lie had traveled around the world a thousand times before the truth even got its pants on. That's how this works. That's what I mean when I say these things happen only in one direction. It is always, oh, well, we uh, accidentally mischaracterized the organ. This organization is not designed to sex traffic young girls. It's designed to stop sex trafficking of young girls. We regret the air. Oh, okay. You regret the air. You regret the air that completely negates the story. And the whole reason the story was existing, and it took you 12 hours to figure out that this story was an error. Is that right? Is that how it works? Well, yes, that's how the media works. It's exactly and precisely how the media works. They let the lie go out there. Look, when I was working community, when I was a press secretary in the Senate, it wasn't as bad. But my friend, a really good friend of mine, um, one of the 15 million Bryans I know, apparently, he was communications director for Mike Lee. Utah, conservative, solid, rock solid conservative guy. And all the time, I would say every once in a while, I'd say all the time, with regularity, the people over at MSNBC would do a hit piece. Rachel Maddow in particular would do a monologue about Mike Lee. And then you'd see at the end of it, we reached out to Mike Lee's office we invited the senator on the show but they did not return to us or they did not whatever they turned us down and so i one time i emailed my friend and i said dude why do you keep turning down rachel matt like mike lee would just decimate decimate rachel maddow there's a reason she doesn't have conservatives on smart conservatives she doesn't because she she can't stand up to that kind of scrutiny and my friend wrote back and said dude they ask us 10 minutes before before air. They send the email when it's impossible. You know, it's nine. she's on at 9 o'clock. They send an email at 8.50 saying, hey, we're going to talk about this at the top of the show. Would the senator like to come on and discuss this? Well, the senator's home. The senator's off doing another thing. Whatever it is, you can't get him there in 10 minutes. You just can't. But that enables them to then go, hey, man, we tried. Hey, man, we gave it a shot. We invited them on, but he's too big of a coward to come on. When in reality, they didn't give him any time whatsoever to respond. Now, what they're saying is technically true because they don't say they're too big of a coward to come on. They just imply that. And then they did not respond. They did not this. They, they rejected our, turned down our request, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, huh. Seems a little bit weird. But it is not weird if you understand the context. They ask you very, very late. So you can't respond. Or even worse. I mean, it's they used to do that and they'd send out an email. And you see these uh, conservatives have started posting these things on Twitter, which is good. Screen captures of these email messages from reporters saying, hey, uh, we're doing a story on how you're a horrible monster. We've talked to everybody around you, every, every left-wing organization we got comment from. Uh, would you have any comment? Would you like to comment on the story? 
uh, we're going to publish in about a half an hour. And you're, and you're like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking. What do you mean you're going to publish it? What are you talking about? And then in the story, they say, well, we reached out for comment and they have not gone back to us. Should they, we'll update the story. Like, why would you update update this? Why wouldn't you hold the story? There's no deadline. You're doing a hit piece. There's no deadline that says, well, if you don't get this hit piece up by noon, then everything in it is invalid or will be out of date or whatever. No, it is a hit piece. You could wait. You've had days. You talked to seven people in the article. You didn't do all of that this morning and have it edited and fact-checked and everything. You've been working on this for a while. The libs of TikTok Twitter account. They've been uh, Kaya Reichick or whatever, however you pronounce her name. She has been accused by NBC News of leading, causing, forcing, inspiring, whatever. Sweet, sweet, nourishing, totally mentally stable trans people into violence or whatever. I don't even know. It's hard to keep up with. They've accused her of everything. A sun goes supernova in the galaxy somewhere, and uh, some leftists will write an article about how it is Libs of TikTok's fault. When what Libs of TikTok does is go, hey, some lunatic leftist with a very small audience posted this video of themselves that they made online for the world to see. The world isn't really seeing it, but here, I'll help the world see it. And then the left goes, oh, my God, you're highlighting all this. She's not filming anything. She's just saying, here's what, and she's not posting it. She's not breaking into people's phones. She's saying, somebody posted this online. Look at this insanity. And then the left throws an absolute fit, going, oh, my God, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't. They did it. Well, somebody called Emily Liebert. She used to work at uh, Teen Vogue in Allure Glamour Magazine and Jezebel. So that tells you the quality of the journalism you're dealing with sent libs of TikTok an email asking a request for comment, Oklahoma students' death. And it says, hello, reaching out as The Cut. Now she works for something called The Cut, another left-wing site that will go bankrupt sooner rather than later, but it'll be propped up until it becomes less useful and is replaced by some liberal billionaire. Reaching out as The Cut is writing up the story of the Oklahoma student Nex Benedict's death. Nex Benedict is a person, a girl who was non-binary and they say, beat to death by a couple of students, whatever. Horrible tragedy, not inspired by anybody responsible. It's amazing. The left never wants to blame anybody except Republicans for anything. The inanimate object is the problem when a liberal goes and kills somebody. But whatever. Other outlets have referenced a video your account posted featuring a former teacher from the school Benedict attended. If you would like to send a comment or statement regarding the student's death, we can update our story. Thank you. We can update our... Wait a second. So that means that super serious journalist Emily Liebert has already written the story. The story's already posted. We can update it. We've implicitly accused you of being an accessory to murder without ever reaching out to you. But if you should like to refute this allegation against you, you can shoot me a sentence or two. Don't get too wordy. And I'll consider updating my story that's already out there. That's what journalism has become.
Every one of these people and every one of these organizations needs to be sued into oblivion, into oblivion. And since they are on the Internet, they are technically everywhere. Find a way to establish standing in a conservative jurisdiction the way that the left is going after Trump in New York. This is the game they want to play. Play this game. Ruin them. Ruin them. They're not going to be bound by truth. Make them bound by court order. So we've had a, a, a prime example, and it's really, it's kind of how news happens, how the, the day happens, how the happenings of the world happen, is these things happen in clusters. And you've got all these examples of media bias coming together in a sort of harmonic convergence kind of way all at once. And you can't help, you don't sit out and go, you know what, today I want to do a show about media bias. You don't do that. Although I do love the topic because it is very fruitful and very important. It is not something you just plan. It's whatever the news, wherever the news takes you. It's just that so much of it is really just exemplary of what these people do, these leftists do. And so uh, narrative, let's do, I'll do John Avalon right now, just because it's not very often, but it happens. You can see it. If you look, sometimes they have loose collar, they loosen their tie, or you can see underneath their shirts or underneath their dresses on TV, their uniform shows. They're wearing the, the blue Democrat uniform and like, oh, that's, that's weird. And then they, they quickly try and pretend, no, 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 I'm an honest broker. I'm a, I'm a serious journalist. I have many, many, many plaques on the walls of my office extolling this very fact that I am a journalist. And then they go right back to the reading of the talking points. They take the press release from the Democratic National Committee and copy and paste it into a Word document claiming it is original work, so on and so forth. You see how all that works. Well, John Avalon, up until 20 minutes ago, literally up until this morning, was a serious, serious journalist. Even on his Wikipedia page, John Philip Avalon, born January 19, 1973, is an American journalist and political commentator. He is senior political analyst and anchor at CNN. Anchor? Anchor's a serious... Now, you can't be a... Okay, he's an analyst, not a commentator. And an anchor. Anchors are not supposed to give their opinion. And was the editor-in-chief and managing director of The Daily Beast from 2013 to 2018. Avalon was previously a columnist and associate editor for The New York Sun and chief speechwriter for mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, wait, he's got some Republican street cred. Not really. Rudy was a conservative for New York. He wasn't super conservative. He's also married to Margaret Hoover, who was the great-granddaughter of Herbert Hoover. And it really begs the question, how many generations in succession can you dine out on what somebody else did? Turns out at least four. Uh, in January 2017, Avalon published Washington's Farewell, the Founding Father's Warning to the fu- to Future Generations, in which he highlighted the history 
and content of President George Washington's parting treatise to the American people in the context of contemporary the contemporary political climate. Sounds like he wrote this Wikipedia page himself or hired, more than likely hired somebody. You can't really edit your own Wikipedia page very easily. They, If they suspect it's you, they can check the location of your IP address and if it's like where you live, they'll, they'll go, we suspect this is you, we're going to change. But you can hire somebody on the other side of the country or anywhere in the country to go in and edit your Wikipedia page and you go, well, that seems absurd, Derek. I've been hired to do that. So, you know, <laughs> it's true. It's innocuous. We don't like this. We're embarrassed by this in our Wikipedia page. We want this edited and watered down. You're like, all right, I'll do it. And really the question is, who the hell cares that much about their Wikipedia page? You'd be surprised. Narcissists do. His most recent book, Lincoln and the Fight for Peace, it is a historical analysis of Lincoln's rebuilding the nation from the Civil War and how those efforts carried on past his assassination. Well, yeah, after if it was after the war, he didn't live all that long after the war, so it would have to be after him. But he is a um, what looks like he's a child of privilege. Avalon was born in 1973 to Diane Alexander Nee Phillips and John Jeffrey. Av- Avlon, a lawyer and real estate executive with companies in Charleston, South Carolina, and New York City. Well, now, this so-called Republican, this so-called journalist, this so-called honest broker, is running for Congress up in New York. And he's running for Congress as a Democrat. That's what you could say. Well, he's a Republican. He worked for Rudy Giuliani. He worked for Rudy Giuliani in the late 1990s. Okay, that's just that's a lifetime ago. If you lived through 9-11, it doesn't seem like that long ago. But if you just think of it in terms of chronology, it's 25 years ago, right? It is a lot happens then. You become CNN contributor. Your wife gets a show on PBS. Again, do you really think the last name Hoover, she's a conservative? Yeah, no. Name one Republican policy she actually supports. Name one Republican candidate not named Mitt Romney that she's a fan of. You can't. Avalon's the same thing. But he is not, he's the kind of guy who looks like he sleeps in pajamas. You know, like the button-up two-piece pajamas that, like, Dick Van Dyke was required to wear on the Dick Van Dyke show by the censors. He he looks like you go to bed with a pocket square and a little worthless pocket. Why do you have a pocket in pajama? I don't get it. But anyway, what what are you carrying with you that you need to have in bed? It's not like a dream where you can take anything you have on your physical being into the dream, but make sure you have it when you leave or else it will be kept in your dream forever. No. Well, he announces... Now, tell me, as you listen to this video of John Avalon announcing his congressional bid, tell me what you hear that is any different, any different than just standard boilerplate liberal. I mean, it's wildly... The the most offensive part isn't that he's liberal, it's that he is so unoriginal. But tell me if you hear anything whatsoever remotely close to something that is not not 
a Democrat provided an approved talking point. It is a it's a buzzword salad threat to democracy, blah, 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 blah. That's all this thing is. But he's got money. So who cares? I'm John Avalon, and I believe the United States is the greatest democracy the world has ever known. But right now, our democracy is in danger. This election is not a drill. It's up to all of us to step up and get off the sidelines. And that's why I'm running for Congress in New York's first district. There's just too much at stake for the country and the community that I love. We need to build the broadest possible coalition to defeat Donald Trump, defend our democracy, and win back the House from his MAGA minions who don't even seem interested in solving problems anymore. Together, we can flip the seat. Together, we can rebuild the middle class, invest in infrastructure, protect women's reproductive freedoms, and combat climate change. Democrats can't afford to lose this fight. Oh, it's so uplifting, isn't it? Democrats can't afford to lose this fight. Donald Trump from his MAGA minions. What has the party changed? Think about that. How has the Republican Party changed in the last 40 years? How? They were pro-life, Ronald Reagan. Pro-life now, okay. Pro-traditional marriage then, pro-traditional marriage now. They are pro-national defense, pro-military. Then they're pro-military, pro-national defense now. Anti-communist then, anti-communist now. How is it that they've changed? Pro-growth, pro-tax cuts, pro regulatory reform or regulatory elimination. They're that now. How has the Republican Party changed? Now, around the edges and on specifics, you sure can point out things where they have changed slightly. But wholesale? Back in the 80s, Republicans knew what biology was, and now Republicans know what biology is. Can you say the same for Democrats? Democrats at least paid lip service to the idea of American exceptionalism, American greatness. Can you say the same now? There was a faction of the Democratic Party that was interested in curbing spending because they understood that that was the pathway to massive debt, which was the pathway to massive inflation. Can you say that now about the Democratic Party? John F. Kennedy served this country with distinction in World War II voluntarily. He was an anti-communist. He was pro-growth. He cut taxes to stimulate growth. Now, not dramatically, but rather significantly for the time, because he understood that people being allowed to keep more of their own money would not only cause them to keep more of their own money and spend it, but also invest it, which would lead to economic growth, which it did. Do you hear any single Democrat talk about that now? You do not. They talk about, we need the rich to pay their fair share. We need to give the middle class a tax cut. Well, you pretty much, you have to be making you know quite a bit of money relatively speaking, to even pay any taxes now. Don't give me this, oh, well, I, there's plenty taken out of people's... Ta- there are, there's plenty. That's FICA, that's Social Security, that's Medicare. Those are not tax. Those are, we're told, they're investments. That money's going right into an account with your name on it somewhere in rural Maryland 
where nobody's going to touch it when realistically we've spent it for generations, whatever. I'm talking about income tax, income tax. Somewhere along the lines of the bottom half, the 50% of the country pays almost no income tax. The top 1% pays about half the income tax because they got a lot of money. They're taxed to death. But there's a lot of money in the middle class. The middle class is taxed to death. How many more people can you exempt from paying taxes? How many people should you exempt from paying taxes? Anyway, that's a story for another time. As you listen to to John Avlon talk there about his congressional run, did you feel the roughage? Did you feel the word salad he was tossing? Absolute meaningless buzz. Our democracy is under threat. Trump and his MAGA minions, this, that, and the other. We need to stop the Amer- I believe America is the most successful democracy the world has ever known. Well, that's a pretty damn damning statement about democracies since we ain't one. And since you're running to be a representative of people, you should at least be aware of the fact that we are a representative republic, not a straight democracy. Were we a straight democracy, the border would be sealed. Why? Because the clear and vast majority of Americans look at what Joe Biden hath wrought on our southern border and are horrified by it. Right? They're disgusted by it. They look at footage out of New York City's homeless shelters and illegal alien encampments where they're beating up police. And the other people are standing around cheering, throwing things at police. Yeah, get out of here. And they look at that and they recoil in horror and they say these people need to be deported. Right now, they're all early 20s, young men. There's not that much political repression around the world, okay? They're lying to come here because the cartel needs them positioned here to handle the distribution of their poison, which, you know, while every enough people or more people who died in Vietnam every single year are overdosing. Maybe Hunter's got super DNA and he's able to survive it. But a lot of people aren't. You're supposed to care. You should care. You don't care. John Avalon doesn't doesn't analyze that, doesn't say anything about it. It's all just we need to wrestle away from those MAGA Republicans. Well, what is it that those MAGA Republicans are doing that's so bad? They don't have an answer. They don't have anything to run. Is John Avalon going to say that a 12-year-old should have their genitals mutilated? Is that his platform? Is that going to be something he runs on? You know what? If a seven-year-old says this, then we should start pumping him with hormones right away. Because, of course, children who have no concept of what this is and who they are or what they are at this point absolutely positively have the ability to make life-altering decisions forever and make them stick. John Avalon doesn't mention that. He won't be asked that. He will not appear anywhere where he will be asked that. He was a CNN contributor until he uh, lost that contract, either because of this or just before this, in preparation for this. And he will um, be back on CNN like it never even happened if he loses. I promise you that. He'll be back to being an anchor and a journalist if he loses. Because why? Because that's how it works. You can go from one 
to the other if you're a Democrat. You can't be anything other than a right-wing nut job, regardless of whether you're running for office or you're not running for office. It's just an interesting case study in how same things are treated differently. Carrie Lake, and I'm not a big fan of Carrie Lake. She was a news anchor out in Arizona. She then ran for governor. She is no longer referred to as a journalist. She was never referred to as a journalist once she came out as a Republican. That was all just white race. She talked about it, but the media didn't really. She's just a right-wing MAGA, blah, blah, blah. Will John Avlon be a left-wing progressive activist? Will his work as a journalist be taken? No, it won't. Nothing will change for John Avlon. If he wins, he'll have a seat in Congress. If he loses, he'll have a seat in the studio. There's no real... People who run as Republicans risk a lot. People who run as Democrats risk having to eat really bad finger food at fundraisings, fundraisers. When realistically, Don Avalon and his uh, wife have enough money he shouldn't have to fundraise at all. But he will because he cares so deeply about the future of this country. But, I mean, not enough to, not enough to open his wallet. That might be what bothers me the most. Is, is I, I expect liberals to lie. It's all the lying that goes on on their behalf. The world that they live in is not reality. And they insist that it is. And liars will always insist that what they're saying is true. They just will. That's what they do. It makes them liars. But that they do so in a position of authority, of smug authority, simply because they got, it, they got hired. You're not imbued with special power because you got a job in media. Hell, I've had jobs in media. Hell, this is a job in media. You are not, you know, suddenly Jim Carrey and liar, liar, incapable of telling the truth. And boy, howdy, there are some just honest, look, honest mistakes happen. Honest mistakes do happen. But honest mistakes aren't uniform. Right. And uniform. Can you think of a single time the Republican or somebody in the media came out as a Republican and ran for office and they were treated as, you know, with a serious candidate? No, it doesn't happen. The only way, in fact, to be treated as a serious Republican in the liberal media at CNN or MSNBC is to essentially be a former Republican. Right. You're not. You're not a Republican Republican. You're Liz Cheney. You're Adam Kitzinger. You're Michael Steele. You're, you're sellouts, you're tools, you're people who are desperate for attention, you want money, whatever it is. You don't have any principles. You're whatever, you're Matt Lewis. You're whatever it is that gets you booked on Morning Joe, whatever you need to be. You know, you're the, the prostitute leaning in the car window who says, well, what do you, what do you want? And they'll do anything. They just really, they just want to get the money. They'll do anything for the attention. It's annoying as hell because it is a one-way street. How many stories about Donald Trump and the Trump administration during the Trump administration were wildly negative and outrageously so? If they were true, my God, can you believe somebody did that or said that or whatever that? And then a day later half a day later, a week later, whatever it was, then they all said, oh, yeah, no, sorry about that. 
we uh, we found out that that wasn't true. The famous example was Donald Trump Jr. They had an email of Donald Trump Jr.'s. It had to have been Adam Schiff because it came out of the House, came out of you know investigating. Because why else? Who else would have access to? an email between Donald Trump Jr. and some random person. It would either be Donald Trump Jr. or this random person. A random person knew what the hell they'd sent, and Donald Trump Jr. would not send to CNN an email allegedly implicating himself in some sort of Russian conspiracy. So it came from Adam Schiff. We can just we just know this. And it said from this random person to Donald Trump Jr., here is WikiLeaks, you need to see this. This is a way to attack Hillary, whatever. And it was about Hillary Clinton's emails that WikiLeaks had gotten. And the story was, my God, Donald Trump got, Jr. got early access to the WikiLeaks emails. This shows coordination and collusion between WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign. This shows that they were in on it. They knew about this ahead of time. This is an outrage. Here is your, the, the idea was Russia hacked Hillary's emails. Here's somebody giving early access to Russian hacked information. Therefore, this is evidence that the Trump campaign and the Trump family was working with Russia. CNN wrote the story. I think there were seven or eight CNN reporters on this story. They were super proud of it. It was breaking news. CBS then got the story. They ran with it. And then MSNBC soon followed, and not a single one of them bothered to check the date on the email that they got from Adam Schiff. The date was two or three days after WikiLeaks had publicly published Hillary Clinton's emails, or the Clinton campaign's emails. So it was available for the whole world to see. It was just some random dude who'd gotten Donald Trump Jr.'s email address. Which ain't that hard to do. You can find, you can, mostly an educated guess will get you a lot of celebrities, especially if you know where they work. If you know the after the at part, there are only so many combinations unless they go like, my name is uh, right-handed Pinky Tuscadero or something. Then like, you're not going to get it. But in general, it's some sort of variation of their name. If you're determined enough, you'll email 15 different combinations and possibilities and one of them will hit. But there was nothing controversial or conspiratorial about it. They all had to retract it. They all had to retract. Oh, sorry about that. Jake Tapper went on the air, I think, if I remember correctly, and said, well, we, sometimes we get it wrong. You didn't get it wrong. You got played. You got played. Your source burned you. Your source gave you this and said, look at this. Theoretically, knowing full well how calendars work, but assuming you wouldn't bother to check because it was too good to check. Has there ever been anything that implicates a Democrat that was just too good to check? You just ran with it? Now, you remember back in 1998 when Bill Clinton was found or alleged to have been having an affair with an intern, Newsweek had the story cold. They had it cold. They had unequivocal proof, for God's sakes. And they spiked the story. They had it, and they said, no, we're not going to run this. So when it's a Democrat, they're not going to run it. When it's a Republican, and it's the flimsiest thing. It's an email from somebody we don't know. Look at this. Oh, my God, early. They just, they couldn't even check the date. 
Do you know of any situation where it went the other way, where like, oh, Nancy Pelosi, really corrupt, got super rich while in the House of Representatives, particularly spiked when she became Speaker of the House? And they said, oh, sorry, no, that's wrong. Well, actually, that's not wrong, so they wouldn't bother correcting that. You know what I mean. There's no story going in the other direction. That's not by accident. And you just look at all of these examples of media bias. They are everywhere. The former press secretary of this administration is currently employed as an anchor, as a journalist, talking about John Avalon, as an anchor and journalist at MSNBC. Oh, but she's a... No, they call themselves journalists. When there is breaking news, when you go to the... When you watch Fox, nobody's sitting around trying to tell you that Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram or Jesse Waters even. No, they're serious journalists. They're not. They're, they're commentators. They tell you exactly where they're coming from. They back it up, but they tell you they're, they're conservatives. They're, they're on the Republican side. Over at MSN, and then when there's news, like say, it won't be necessarily this Saturday isn't the best example because that's when the uh, South Carolina primary is, but uh, when the, the Iowa caucuses were happening, right? They didn't have Sean Hannity sitting at a desk with Laura Ingram and Jesse Waters and Greg Gutfeld covering the news of the day. They didn't. They pretty much gave them all the night off, right? Whenever the the caucuses closed, and they closed, they, they called the caucus before uh, votes were even cast, let alone counted, but whatever. That's for another day. They... Um, they did not have them sitting. They said, you get the night off. As soon as it was made, you get the night off. Okay, Sean, you're normally on at nine. We're going to be live with the news team at then. There is bifurcation. There is a wall of separation. He says walls don't work. There's a wall of separation. They had Brett Baer and Martha McCallum anchoring that night. That's what they're doing. They're doing that. They're the ones running the show. And you're like, huh, okay. That's Why? Because it was a news event. The other people are commentators. They're commentary people. Okay, I'm not a journalist. I am a commentator. I happen to be better informed and able to string things together more coherently than any journalist out there. But that's just the gift from God that I got. That and my humility. Yes, I'm by far probably the most humble person you'll ever meet. I mean, it's not even close. It's embarrassing, really, how humble I am. But beside the point. They separated. Over at MSNBC, they brought Joy Reid, Larry O'Donnell. They even dragged Rachel Maddow out of bed and made her work a second day that week, the poor dear. And Nicole, well, all these leftists that comment, all to, all the, these are the people who are anchoring. Anchoring. Now, you can have Sean Hannity on to give his take about what happened in the Republican primary, but he doesn't host the show because he's not a journalist. He'll tell you he's not a journalist. MSNBC does no such thing. They pretend that their anchors, their hosts, are journalists. And sadly, because of the nature of our culture, if people are on a medium, if people are in a position of tuna, you know, we, we as we're kids, we listened to our teachers, believed what our teachers said, unless your teacher was really crazy and saying things like, 
out of the blue that nobody else was saying like you know boys are girls and girls are boys and suddenly they be, they start performing lola by the kinks every day and you kind of go that's a little weird that's not what it is or denying ronald reagan is not my president george bush is not my president bill clinton is an honest broker whatever it is they weren't doing that back then they were in a position of authority that they taught you they were actually trying to do their jobs too they taught you how to read write do math and taught you history they didn't inundate you with pride flags all over and here's a pride flag with seventeen thousand different colors don't stare at it too long or you'll have a seizure but boy howdy let me tell you about my uh, key party i attended this weekend is now what goes on in these in these classrooms but because they're your teacher you kind of go okay they, they're your parents conditioned you these people are there you listen to your teacher you listen to the principal you do what they say and you did same with adults same with people on television you thought well this is a news organization they wouldn't just put some schlub on tv they'd have somebody who knows what they're talking about up there so there we as i don't because i know most of these people and i know that a lot of them are particularly dumb but you just sit there and you go, well, they're on, surely a news organization would have vetted these people who know what they're talking about. So they're not going to put somebody up. If you know the issues, you know that these people talking on the TV don't know the issues. But they don't have to know the issues in and out. They have to know enough to be able to speak about it for about a minute and a half in a five-minute segment because it'll be them and two other people who agree with them. Nothing they say will be challenged, so it doesn't matter. And uh, you just have to not sound stupid. That's it. You don't have to be smart. You have to not sound stupid. That's the key to making it on television. And I'll tell you, these things are booked a week in advance. You want to be on uh, this show next next Tuesday? Uh, sure. What, why? What are we talking about? Well, we'll figure that out the day of. The people are chosen a week in advance. The topics are assigned the morning of. And then they send you a story. Here's an Associated Press story. Send us back two sentences of what you think of it. And that's it. Doesn't matter if you know anything more than that Associated Press story. You're on there. The same goes for the anchors. Joy Reid does not have special powers and she was not the end result of a long vetting process trying to figure out who understands the news the best and then also possesses an innate ability to convey that information to the public. They don't give a damn about that. It's can you get numbers? Can you get eyeballs? Are you going to say anything that goes viral? And so you end up in a situation where she she just goes, uh, it's racist, it's racist, it's racist, and some of that goes viral, some of it doesn't. It doesn't matter if she wildly embarrasses herself. It doesn't matter if she embarrasses the brand of NBC News. They don't care. They pretend they're separate things. I remember when MSNBC started, it was a joint venture between Microsoft, the MS, and NBC News. After a couple of years, Microsoft said, you guys can have this thing. We're not interested. They could see where it was going. Not that they didn't agree with it, but they're just like, there's no point in this. I don't know what we're doing here. And they've since steadily marched right, or not marched, goose-stepped down the pathway, uh, the progressive pathway. 
But NBC News has never once said, eh, not real comfortable. They, they do not necessarily represent the views of NBC News. Now, a few years ago, to give somewhat credit, ABC News used to be the home of The View. ABC News used to be, The, the View used to fall under the, the umbrella of ABC News. They were part of the news division. And people apparently, and you can't blame them, recoiled in horror at that. Like, my God, these people. Because it was Barbara, Barbara uh, I almost said Barbara Streisand. It was Barbara Walters who found it. She was the queen of ABC News. Um, the people at ABC News said, you guys are embarrassing us, all right? We have to answer. Our PR people have to answer. Our report have we're response. You're under, our, no, we're putting you under entertainment. And they moved them out of the news division into entertainment. Doesn't make them any less pernicious, doesn't make them any less ignorant or damaging to the country, but it at least stopped somewhat damaging the brand of ABC News, even though it was still damaging the brand of ABC. There is no attempt to distance MSNBC from NBC. There just isn't. It would be laughable if it did. They use the people interchangeably. So when you look at something like Ginger Goebbels, she is considered... A journalist, Jen Psaki over there, even though she was the White House press secretary. And she's the only time in history that I've known of where a government official had a job lined up in the private sector for about two months, signed a contract and was still able without any blowback whatsoever to do their job. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to use your position to get a new job. You're supposed to leave. And then finally, I mean, nobody does it, but you don't be public about it. And they were very public about it. She, they were congratulating her from the press room. Nobody said, hey, or nobody seriously said, impress the issue. How are you going to be able to be an honest broker in this job or in your coming job, in your new job, when you have obvious conflicts? Nobody asked that. There are obvious conflicts. That aren't really conflicts anymore. Under normal circumstances, under the way that journalism used to operate, there would have been conflicts in there. You're too close to cover these things. You can't talk about these things. But now it's a virtue. You can get the president on. You can get the vice president. You can do a softball interview with these people. You know these people. You used to work with them. You're probably still helping them. And all this started back again in the late 90s. When George Stephanopoulos, Mr. Snuffleupagus himself, went from working in the Clinton White House to ABC News. To ABC News. He was a uh, political correspondent, I believe. He went there as a journalist, not as a commentator. But eventually, he ended up being the host of This Week. He still is the host of This Week. There's no ambiguity about his resume, where he comes from. He was he was a chief advisor of the Clinton campaign and then worked as like deputy chief of staff or deputy communications director, whatever it was, in the Clinton White House. He's a tried and true Democrat. In fact, during various scandals in the Obama administration, George Stephanopoulos would convene with Paul Begala and other Democratic activists, James Carville, to try and coordinate the best way for Democrats to message about whatever the issue of the day was, meaning how to manipulate the media. This is now ABC News's chief political correspondent. And nobody bats an eye at it. They're no longer saying we need to separate George Stephanopoulos from 
ABC News. The View, get out of here. George Stephanopoulos, he is the face of ABC News. They've got him on Good Morning America. Nobody in America goes, you know what I need is six days of George Stephanopoulos. But they get it. And he influences it all. More Americans get their news from ABC News than from any other source. They're not exactly being informed. So Ginger Goebbels is out there on Sundays with her TV show, and she comes in on special breaking news nights to give news about what's going on. And she had Nancy Pelosi on. And it's amazing to me, Nancy Pelosi is a backbencher, insignificant, irrelevant member of the House. She knows how the House works, but she is no longer Speaker of the House. She's Speaker Emeritus, which is a title Democrats made up. She's really still the leader of Democrats. She's not going to trust anybody else to do the job, especially a black guy. They need a black face. And so they hired Hakeem Jeffries. Oh, it's controversial. It's it's true. Who do you see quoted more frequently, the alleged leader of the Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries, or the alleged backbencher from San Francisco, who is just a regular old member now, Nancy Pelosi, who gets more interviews, who gets more in-depth interviews, who gets more quotes, who raises more money. It's all Nancy Pelosi. The Democrats are not, uh, they they need the diversity, equity, and inclusion face to put forward, but it doesn't mean anything. Nancy Pelosi is pulling the strings. And so, of course, she's on with Ginger Goebbels. And Ginger Goebbels brings up, they can't let it go. They can't quit. It's Brokeback Mountain in journalism. They can't quit the Russia hoax. They can't quit the Russia hoax. And so Ginger Goebbels, what what do you think the Russians have on Donald Trump? Now, what did Donald Trump do with Vladimir Putin? He kept him in check. Where was Putin's aggression during the Trump administration? It didn't exist. His ambitions were there. He wanted Ukraine. He attacked Ukraine before the Trump administration and he attacked Ukraine after the Trump administration. He didn't secretly acquire parts of Ukraine during the Trump administration without having to fire a shot because the Trump administration helped him acquire them. No, he was held in check. He was sanctioned like crazy in ways that actually hurt. And we were hammering him on the way he makes money. Remember, I talked yesterday about you want to hurt Putin, you do it in the energy sector. You hurt him by costing him money, not by costing him money to do things, by preventing him from getting money in the first place. Then he has difficulty. Then his resources start to get stretched thin. That's what happened to Vladimir Putin during the Trump administration. Joe Biden comes in. Germany, go ahead. Kill all your power plants. You know what? We're going to kill the exports of this, that, and the other thing. You can go ahead and buy your energy from Russia. Well, that keeps funding. That keeps funding Vladimir Putin. I thought we were against that. Now Putin is aggressive towards Ukraine, invaded Ukraine. I thought we were against that. You enabled it. You allowed him to afford it. You allowed him to afford it, Joe. But Donald Trump, according to Ginger Goebbels and Nancy Pelosi, is a Putin tool. They must have something on Donald Trump. Because why? Because of the way he Putin wasn't able to do anything during the Trump administration? Is that is that why? So let us get to uh, Ginger Goebbels and Jen Psaki. And again, keeping in mind that every explanation, every exploration of the Russia hoax 
has been debunked, even by the sainted. And they, believe me, if there was something they could even make up with the Mueller team. Remember, uh, Mueller, Robert Mueller was a figurehead. When he went and testified before Congress, he was unfamiliar with who he was, let alone the work done in his name. But uh, Andrew Weissman, who really ran the show over there, is as committed leftist as you can get. And so they released the report, and it's weird because the report detailed all of these things that they found suspicious, they didn't like, they didn't other thing, and implied, implied, inferred, directly declared that Donald Trump is a Russian agent, but they didn't prove it, and then ultimately they said, but we have no evidence. And MSNBC and CNN ignored that last little bit where they go, well, nobody's charged with anything. Nobody's even alleged to have committed a crime. We're uh, they're just going to focus on all these other things and say, well, Donald Trump is obviously a, a tool of Russia. Because when you only talk to yourself in the mirror, nobody questions you on anything, right? You're your biggest fan. And that's what the left is. It is this nonstop circle fest of um, sameness. It is, the per, forget the perpetual emotion machine, they are the perpetual echo machine, constantly repeating themselves back to themselves. And so really, it's a case study in, in brainwashing. If you repeat a lie often enough, if you, if you say the lie, if you hear it often enough from positions of authority, people you assume, well, they're on television, they're journalists, they would be truth tellers can you get people to believe it and the answer is yes but then the further question would be if you repeat it yourself to people you're trying to brainwash into believing it do you then start to believe it yourself that's the really interesting study i want to see done that probably will never be done because i think we all know the answer and the answer will not in any way, shape, or form advance the Democratic Party's cause, so there's no point in asking the question. Still, worth thinking about. Along that line, we've got Pelosi and Saki talking. Now listen to this, keeping in mind what you already know, that the Russia collusion hoax was cooked up by the Democrats, by the Clinton campaign, as a way before the election in 2016, to try and distract from Hillary Clinton and all of her problems and all of her illegal activities related to her emails. They needed a distraction from that. It was Donald Trump is a Putin puppet. Donald Trump is Putin's puppet. He's a Russian puppet. And it sticks to this day because the truth is not on their side. What do you think? We're all wondering this question, Speaker Pelosi. What do you think Putin has on him? I mean, it sure seems like something, as you've said a few times, given that he refuses to criticize him, that he seems to be a fanboy of him. Are, are you worried well, at you all? Well, you know, uh, oh, during go. the Mueller... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, uh, first of all, first of all, we must be sure that he does not step one foot into the White House, not as president or not as anything. He has brought disgrace to the White House, to these presidents. I talked about George Washington. It's also President's Week for uh, Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln died, it was embroidered in his coat that night. 
at that theater, one country, one destiny. And he gave his life to unify our country. And now we have someone who had the honor of serving in the White House, didn't consider it an honor, didn't consider his oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. And on this week, speaking out the way he did about Navalny shows you that he is a person without values. He looks like he's going to be a person without dollars either, but the values are what concern us. Yes, the, the dollars. So I don't know what con- he has on him, but I think it's probably financial. I think it's probably financial, either something financial he has on him or something on the come. Yeah, you got to love Nancy Pelosi. It's also President's Week for Abraham Lincoln. That's not at all how a normal human being talks. It's President's Day week, and Lincoln was president. They embroidered uh, in his jacket on the spot at the theater. Lincoln died across the street in a house. They didn't, you know, quickly get him to medical attention, but give me his jacket first. I just want to embroider something just in case he doesn't make it. I'm not saying he's going to, but I want to embroider a nice little message in there for it. He's also assassinated by a Democrat. So there you go. But like she's making jokes about he's going to be out of cash. Nancy Pelosi has a net worth about how much Donald Trump is being fined. Maybe somebody, some enterprising district attorney should sue her for fraud or her husband for fraud in business. Let's go through those records and see what they say. They had to have conducted business somewhere where similar laws exist or can be implemented and go after them, see how she likes it. But what she doesn't do is offer anything other than a declaration that Donald Trump is somehow a Putin puppet, that he is somehow corrupt, that he is somehow a problem. This is what they do. This is how the left works. He is corrupt because he, A, has to be corrupt. He just has to be. He's a Republican. He has to be corrupt. It doesn't matter. He is Hitler. Why? Because he has to be Hitler. He's a Republican. He has to be Hitler. And he is corrupt because I said so. I have declared it so. I have declared it to be in earnest, and therefore it is true. That's it. They don't have anything else. What do they have? They have allegations. Have they proven? Well, he lied on these. Uh, he lied on the forms, according to a judge, and financial forms. The banks themselves. Said he didn't lie. They did their due diligence. They gave the loans. They got the loans paid back. That's the only thing they got him on, quote unquote. But if you'll just look at aerial shots of Mar-a-Lago and do a Zillow or whatever, something of the area, you go, there's no way that's worth only $18 million. It might not be a billion-dollar property, but it's a hell of a lot closer to a billion dollars than it is... $18 $18 million, and that's what they got Donald Trump on. You said this is worth uh, whatever he said it was. It's only worth $18 million. Really? I would move heaven and earth to come up with $18 million to buy Mar-a-Lago. I'd have to... See, that wouldn't be enough because while you would have paid $18 million, you'd be taxed on somewhat near an approximation of the actual value of the property, and that's going to be a hell of a lot more than $18 million. But that's what they got. Donald Trump is... Okay, how did he get rich? 
from his position as president because Donald Trump had X when he went into office and he has X minus, I don't know, $100 million, $200 million now. He actually is worth less. Whereas let's just take a look at, say, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton. They go into the White House with relatively modest means and they come out and now they're filthy rich. In short order, they're filthy rich. Let's take a look at good old Nancy Pelosi. She was never going to miss a meal, but she did not have FU money. Now she does. Now she's given, when she was Speaker of the House, she was in on a lot of IPOs, initial public offerings, meaning she got stock before the public. She had the option to buy stock before the public did. If you ever get a chance to go in an IPO, you should seriously consider it. You don't necessarily do it because it depends on the company. You've got to do your due diligence, but you will get money. Most stock, especially in good companies, will go up dramatically the moment it's offered on there. So if you can buy something, if you can buy Facebook at 15 bucks a share before it goes public, and then it goes public, and at the end of the day, it's at $100 a share, you just made a killing, right? You made a killing. Nancy Pelosi gets in on those all the time. Have you ever been offered to be in on an IPO? Nope. Pelosi and her husband do. They do. They're given stock options. You've been given stock options. You ever have a stock option? They get stock options from companies they don't own. They don't work at. Paul Pelosi does not work for some visa company. But they got stock options. Why? Well... It's because they're such wonderful people, of course. It has nothing to do with her political influence and position. Why that, that, how dare you? Nancy Pelosi would express her disgust and anger at your assertion just by looking at her face. Were she able to move her face? She's not. Of course, we know Nancy Pelosi is as honest as she is expressive. <laughs> You get that much Botox, you can't move your face. I wonder, it's you got to like risk splitting open when you sneeze, right? Don't you? You get your ears tied behind to get tied together behind your head, and Botox in there. Things can't move. Things are tighter than nature would ever allow. It's got to be hard. But she just sits there eating her ice cream in front of her fifty thousand dollar refrigerator, going, "Yeah, oh, Donald Trump doesn't care about the little guy." Oh, security breach. Somebody's on our property. Go beat the hell out of them. Release the hounds. She's Mrs. Burns from The Simpsons. But she's the arbiter of what it is. And Jen Psaki right there, that was about the hardest part of the interview. The most challenging questions that Nancy Pelosi faced from Ginger Goebbels were a miscommunication and a delay in the satellite feed that caused them to speak over each other for a second. And then immediately being the good dog that she is see she's now the host of the show but she knows her place jen saki quiets down and says oh i'm sorry go ahead let's nancy pelosi talk it's on her show it's her show oh, please no please thank you ma'am may i have another now we come to morning joe the clowns over at morning joe they are again in the Trump is a Putin tool thing. Again, you notice their their evidence is lacking. There's no evidence that Ginger Goebbels and Nancy Pelosi offered up 
uh, Joe and his third wife, Mika, they don't offer up any evidence either. It is just, he has to be a tool of Russia because I declare him to be a tool of Russia. You really want to talk about something Soviet as far as like the Soviet quote-unquote justice system, as it were. Doesn't get it. They, you have to be a criminal. I've accused you of being a criminal. That's the, so You're a criminal. Go ahead. You, you can prove that you aren't a criminal. Go ahead. It's your trial. Go ahead. You prove that you weren't a criminal and you're distracted. The whole time, you don't put up a very good case because you're distracted by the the firing squad setting up in the other corner of the courtroom. Going, okay, we're going to put him right here, and then we're going to shoot him dead, right, right in the heart. You want to hit him in the heart. And, you know, guess not too many not guilty verdicts passed by the old uh, Soviet Union, and not too many not guilty verdicts passed by the Democrats over at MSNBC. It's weird. How that works. Everything old is new again. But if you just listen to what they're saying here, it's not actually all that important to the words that they use as much as it is how they talk and how they act. These are adults. Both are well into their 50s, if not their 60s. I think Mika might be in her 60s. And uh, she's had a lot of work done, so she does her best to hide it. But they are clowns. There is nothing remotely serious about this. MSNBC has, they used to try and present serious arguments. Now they present the absurd in the hopes that nobody leaves. They are now in the corralling business. The Biden existence, the Biden age thing, the Biden senility has turned the liberal media into wranglers. They need to keep the people on the plantation and outraged more so than they're worried about bringing new people in because what they're selling, what they're doing to keep the people on the plantation is not attracting other people. It's absurd. It's insane. It's insulting like you'll hear in this clip. It's childish. Adults a couple years ago would have been embarrassed to do something like this. Like A bell? You do a bell? But now it's commonplace. It's progressive commentary. It's just shocking. You have you have Russian uh, security uh, services deciding, hey, we can just send unfiltered crap straight to Congress. Straight. And, and, and we don't have to worry about it being filtered. By Intel services, as we heard the report earlier, it's just shocking. And, 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 and why is that? It's because Republicans hate Joe Biden more than they fear Vladimir Putin. It's, it is really sick. It's really sick. And, 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 and Trump, once again, and Republicans being played once again by, uh, by Vladimir Putin. Mika, thank you for this bell. Why? What are you doing? Every time a bell rings, Putin has Donald Trump on a string. Yeah, they're a very serious news organization over there. That's a power couple on the left. Madam Plastic Surgery and Mr. Third Wife. Passing moral... It's not that he has three wives, it's that he sits there and passes moral judgment on others. That disgusts me. But if you notice that and the Nancy Pelosi clip... 
Missing from that is even the allegation of how Donald Trump, what Donald Trump, what Republicans are corrupt over. It's just that they are. It's just that they are. The Republicans now hate Joe Biden more than they fear Vladimir Putin. Well, why the hell should we? We're the United States of America. We should not fear Vladimir Putin at all. Vladimir Putin should, if you're doing it right, Vladimir Putin should fear the United States of America. That, I think, kept him in check a lot during the Trump administration, where he's like, I don't know what this guy's going to do, but I know that he'll do something. I'm not, I'm not going to risk it. I'll wait until there's a Democrat in there before we go get the Donbass region. But there is no reason to fear Vladimir Putin. There are reasons to hate Joe Biden. Right. So, yeah, in a technical sense, I suppose they're correct. I personally do dislike, despise Joe Biden much more than I fear Vladimir Putin. Why? Because Vladimir Putin, while he's a tyrant, if I were Russian, it would be a a different story. Or if I were Ukrainian, it would be a different story. But I'm not. I'm an American. And so when you talk about which of those two poses a more direct and immediate threat to my liberty dare I even say my life, my freedom, my family, my economic future, I would say that that's that's the Democrats. That's Joe Biden and his magic pen. He keeps finding new powers to do with it because Congress will not bow to his whim. You talk about Vladimir Putin is a totalitarian. He absolutely is. But what do you call somebody who says the legislative body of government needs to do what he wants them to do. And if he doesn't, he's going to, if they don't, he's going to do it on his own. Doesn't that sound a little bit totalitarian to me? Congress has done nothing. Therefore, I'm going to do this. Hmm. And it's not just, you know, just for an aside, it's not just things now that Republicans don't want to do, like granting amnesty and citizenship to the 10 to 12 million people he's let in on his watch. Democrats had control of Congress the first two years of Joe's administration. He could have done anything he wanted. He didn't even try to do this stuff. He cares so deeply about student loan debt. All oh, you children out there crushed by student loan debt. How will we ever survive? You had Elizabeth Warren screaming from the top of the hills. She's crazy, but she was screaming from the top of the hills. The president needs to do this. Now, she weirdly, as a United States senator, could have introduced legislation, could have pushed legislation, could have demanded the passage of legislation for giving, quote-unquote, student loan debt, but she didn't. She wasn't screaming from the mountaintop that Congress must pass something to forgive student loan debt. She was screaming from the mountaintop that Joe Biden could do it without Congress, which is weird. It happens all the time with Democrats who are very against totalitarianism. When you go back to the Obama administration and it comes to the DACA program, the dreamers, the sweet, sweet dreamers. Oh, they're the best, Um, especially when they're beating the hell out of cops there. But um, there were members of the Democratic Party in Congress demanding, begging, including from this state in Maryland, demanding, begging that that Barack Obama act unilaterally through executive action to protect the dreamers. Protect the dreamers. Forget the legislative... Pro- there are people saying, make me irrelevant. Make my job irrelevant. 
bypass the will of the people and the representatives of the people on an individual basis in the most local way possible in the House of Representatives and just impose your will from on high, sir. It's weird watching people say, make me irrelevant, legislative body, seize more power, executive branch, make us unnecessary, bypass us. And then in the same breath go, but the other side is wildly totalitarian. Can you believe how totalitarian they are? What an outrage. So while we sit here and we've got the Democrats, Putin on the brain, Republicans are corrupt because they have to be. Listen to us, listen to us. What aren't they talking about? They aren't talking about the southern border. They aren't talking about the southern border at all. Why? Because it doesn't do any good for them. But locally... They're talking about the southern border. There are stories of veterans in New York being thrown out of homeless shelters because you got to favor the sweet, 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 nourishing illegal aliens. They're better than you. They're better than you in every way, shape, or form. Just shut up and go about your business. It's really kind of gross. Honestly, there's a story in the New York Times. Their asylum case seems, this is how bad it is in New York City. Their asylum case seems strong, but instead of hope, They feel despair. The poor dears. On the last day of 2023, Therino Saduberry walked from his homeless shelter near Times Square to Harlem, looking to buy inexpensive suitcases he could fill up with all his possessions. Mr. Berry and his wife, Umuru Berry, had fled political persecution in Guinea. Now, I don't know what kind of political persecution there is in Guinea, But to come here all the way from Africa, you're really fleeing. Really fleeing political persecution. You know, there's plenty of other places in the region that don't involve air travel or boat travel to flee to if you do that. And they didn't want that. So now the couple and their baby daughter had to leave their homeless shelter where they had lived since their arrival in New York City nine months earlier. You go, huh? You came here with nothing. You can't support yourself at all. That's. You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be able to take care of yourself. No, but they're claiming asylum. That's why they took flights, and they took a bunch of flights, it turns out, to get here, we find out in this story. They traveled extensively to to get here. See, nine months earlier, under uh, recent city rules that limit shelter stays and have forced thousands of families to move. As he walked, Barry cursed himself for leaving Guinea, and coming to this cold, unforgiving place. Well, you go back. You go back. It can't be that much political persecution if you're going, ah, I should have never left. Like, politically inconvenient. There are a lot of politically rude people there. Back home, he had been at risk of death. They don't say how or why. And what use, he had wondered, would a dead man have been to his family? So he had abandoned his aging parents, his preschool-aged daughter, and his young sons. That doesn't really sound like he's super a lot of use to them right now. But now he was losing hope that he could ever send for them. He couldn't even send money home to support them. Hmm. The berries are among tens of thousands of migrants. They're not migrants. Who have filled city homeless shelters over the past year and a half. But in recent weeks, many have gotten letters saying it's time to move out. Yes, sooner or later, you're supposed to take care of yourself. But they don't do that. The Berries arrived by plane in New York City on March 26th by way of Brazil, Nicaragua, and California. That's a hell of a 
hopscotch across the globe for somebody who's fleeing political persecution. You seem to have a lot of, you spend all the money on flights to enter the country illegally, by the way, through California. They marched up from Nicaragua through California, crossed the border illegally. Why? Because they didn't have a legitimate asylum claim. If they had a legitimate asylum claim, they could have gone to the Ameri- the closest American embassy, consulate, anywhere around Guinea. I don't know if we have one in Guinea. We probably do, but there's Ghana, there's Mali, there's Burkina Faso, there's Niger, there's Nigeria, there's all kind con- Morocco. You can go to all of these places. But none of them get you here right away. None of them get you here right away. And once you're here, it's nearly impossible to get rid of you. They know that. And that's why they came the way they did. Not because they feared political persecution. They don't go into what it was. What could this guy who can't support himself, who isn't coming here with the means to support himself, what, what could he, what threat could he have posed? None, really. I don't blame him for wanting to live in the United States. But in order to do that, we should ask the one question the left absolutely forbids us from asking. And it should be the only question. Well, maybe not the only, but it should definitely be the first one. What do we get out of it? What's the benefit to the United States? Because this guy's been here nine months and he's living in homeless shelter after homeless shelter, displacing Americans a drag on the system, complaining about it all the way. And now he wants to, well, maybe he should just go home, help him with that, send him back home. But he can't vote for Democrats from back home. He's not going to count in the census from back home. So all the charitable organizations that are there to make sure that everything is going well with these people, well, none of them will grant his wish to go back home from this god-awful, cold, unforgiving place. Well, if your life was really under threat, would you, if you're drowning in the ocean, are you going to be mad that the life raft that picked you up isn't full of uh, Michelin chef cooking? I don't think so. Yeah, <clears throat> I doubt that completely. Anyway, that's enough for today, I say. I appreciate you listening. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow because the crazy never ever stops, even when you want it to. Thanks for listening.